everybody, and welcome back to Picking Up Rubber. I am your host, Justin Russo, and today we are back to preview the 13th round of the 2022 Formula One World Championship, the Hungarian Grand Prix. We are post-qualifying, just hours away from the race here, so we're going to get into everything that happened yesterday, preview the race for you tomorrow, and as well, talk about the big news of the week, which was Sebastian Vettel is retiring at the end of this season from Formula One, legendary Formula One driver. We're going to get into his entire career and all the specifics, and maybe who's going to replace him next year at Aston Martin. So we'll get into all that later. But first, let's get right into qualifying and previewing the race for tomorrow. A surprise pole position, to say the least. George Russell, first pole position in his career, came so close last year, second place in a Williams at Spa. But this time in the Mercedes, after switching teams, he gets his first pole position. A bit of a surprise, and Q3 was kind of hectic. We were expecting Max Verstappen to top the timing sheets. That's what he did in Q1 and Q2. It didn't look like Ferrari had the one-lap pace, even though we had heard about the one-lap pace. It didn't look like they had it to compete with Max. So I, along with a lot of others, I'm assuming, expected Max Verstappen to take that pole position. But then he gets the power unit issue. He goes out for his his runs in Q3, and, and he's telling the team, hey, uh, something's wrong with the car. They're telling him to switch off sensors and do this and that, and nothing is working. He can't get the car right goes out for his second run in Q3 and just kind of trundles along and, and can't really get anything going. So the drivers, especially Ferrari, but the drivers ahead of him and Ferrari, Mercedes, etc., they know, okay, Max is out. This is a time and, and a place for us to take advantage of this and get a, get up a, a couple grid spots because especially Sergio Perez had already been out in Q2. He had a terrible performance in Q2, couldn't even get into Q3, which was a real shock for Red Bull. And then they're hit with the double blow with Max Verstappen. So a huge opportunity for Ferrari. And as we're going through Q3, the second runs, it's Carlos Sainz P1, Charles Leclerc P2. It's looking great for Ferrari. They have a 1-2 lined up at a track that is really hard to pass at, as we saw last year. And here comes George Russell out of nowhere. He's coming around the final corner. And I think even David Croft, you know, the announcer, was thinking, okay, yeah, George Russell, he's on for a good lap. He's, he's going to get third or fourth because at that point, I believe it was the two Ferraris, one, two, Lando Norris in P3, and George Russell was around that fourth and fifth spot looking to move up a little bit. He's only got green sectors on the board, and for those of you who don't know, when the sector times come up, F1 tracks are divided into three different sectors when they time the laps. Kind of just helps helps the drivers and the teams kind of segment out the track and say, okay, eh, you were slow in sector one, but you were fast in sector two. It's just a nice, easy way for them to, to kind of relay information. So... On the timing screens, when it comes up, if you have a purple on your sector, that means you were the fastest of anybody in that session. You did it faster than anybody else. If you have a green come up, that means that you did it faster than you have personally ever done it. That is the fastest time you've gone around that part of the track. And if it's yellow, that means that you have not improved at all. That's your slowest time or a slower time than you've been able to record so far. So typically when you're during a qualifying session, if you have a purple sector or two purple sectors even, you know that, okay, this person's about to put in a really good lap. And so George Russell's coming around the final corner. He's got two green sectors. So you're thinking, okay, he's improving, but, you know, what's he going to be, third or fourth? And he comes around the final corner, and it's a third green sector. Hasn't by any means beaten anyone's best time, but he puts in so many consistent sectors that he ends up grabbing pole position. It was huge for him, huge for the team. I was so happy to see and hear his radio message after. He was going nuts. The team were going nuts. And you know, for a Mercedes team that has been used to dominating in the past eight years, all they know is we're going to win races, we're going to be one-two, we're going to go up, show up to these tracks, dominate, and then leave and go on to the next race. They've been struggling this year. They have not been consistently able to put that car 
onto the podium, even though they've picked up some of the pieces that Ferrari and Red Bull have left. On pure pace, they're not always there every weekend, and, and they've been getting better. They've introduced more and more upgrades, especially in these last few races, and they had even more upgrades this week. And George Russell even said, you know, the Friday was one of the worst Fridays that they had in terms of practice. They couldn't get on top of the car. The balance was all over the, all over the place. And then all of a sudden, they just put in this amazing lap. So huge congrats to George Russell. And he's looking pretty good for that first win in his career tomorrow as well. And the other driver, Lewis Hamilton of the Mercedes, even said after, he said, I was really hoping for that front row lockout. Lewis Hamilton had a DRS issue. So he, his DRS was not able to open on the main straight. And again, for those of you who may not know, the DRS is... On the rear wing of F1 cars, there's a little flap, and on certain sections of the track that are allocated previously, usually, always actually, on straightaways, you can open the flap of that rear wing, and it creates less drag, there's less surface hitting the air in front, and you can go faster down the straightaway. So on qualifying laps, you can always use them no matter what. You just go straight ahead, try to get the fastest time possible. In the race, it's a little more tricky. You have to be within one second of the car in front of you kind of helps aid passing because Formula One's had some passing issues in recent years. So long story short, Lewis Hamilton did not have that advantage. He could not open the rear wing on the straight. So he was slower on the straightaways than any other driver was. And so he wasn't able to get a really good lap and he finishes only P7 for the race tomorrow. And it could have been a huge thing for Mercedes. And, and I think Lewis Hamilton was disappointed because he knows how hard it is firsthand, how hard it is to pass this track. Last year, he was behind Fernando Alonso for, it seemed like, 20 laps, even though it was probably only 5 to 10. He could, he was trying to get on <laughs> on to win the race and fight with Alonso's teammate, Esteban Ocon, but Alonso was blocking him back, blocking him back, just could not get around him because his track is just so narrow in certain parts and it's so hard to pass. So Lewis Hamilton knows what it's like to not <laughs> not be able to pass, and, and he knows he's got his workout or cut out for him tomorrow, but we'll see what he's able to do, starting also behind Fernando Alonso, one spot behind. So if he gets stuck behind Alonso, it's going to be nightmare fuel for Lewis Hamilton, just like last year was. But moving on, I think one thing we have to take away from this qualifying session is that this was a huge missed opportunity by Ferrari, and, and Charles Leclerc all weekend had just not felt comfortable with the car, so much like last weekend where even though he was first, Carlos Sainz had the grid penalty, started in the back, Carlos Sainz was more comfortable in that Ferrari all weekend. He set the fastest time in qualifying, even though it didn't end up mattering because of his penalty. And it just looked like he was more comfortable. And it, it kind of felt like that this weekend, too. Sainz was more on top of it. He was putting in more consistent times. And we saw that again in Q3. Sainz get the best time of the Ferraris. He admitted after that he said he didn't even think that was good enough for pole position. He was surprised. He thought that maybe Max or, or Charles would have ended up beating it. Obviously, Max with the issue. And, and Charles just couldn't get on top of the car. So... A huge missed opportunity for Ferrari to lock out that front row and really try to claw back here before the summer break some points in that championship, both in the drivers and the constructors. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do. I think it's imperative that Sainz gets George Russell off the start because we've seen, you know, even though George Russell's in a Mercedes and the Ferrari is a faster car this year, the race pace of that Mercedes in recent races has been very strong. And then their problem is they haven't been able to put it together over one lap in qualifying. So they're always starting further back than they should be. But that car just comes alive in the race. It, it manages the tires so well. Once the tires heat up, it, it just finds this pace that it's really lacking over one lap. And we saw that even today a little bit in qualifying because they would go out for one lap. They would push real hard, and then they'd cool the tires down a little bit. And they go for a second push lap. And that's uncommon for those who don't watch F1. Usually... 
tires are very sensitive. You need to get them into a certain temperature, and when they're in that temperature kind of range that you need them in, you can go for one really fast lap for your qualifying lap. Mercedes has had a problem where they cannot warm up the tires fast enough into that temperature range. So they push the car for one lap, and then they've kind of just done a couple extra laps to kind of warm them up a little more. And then they, they went for a second lap today, which took a lot of time out of their schedule. They had to go, you know, they were on the track for a lot, which means they really, they really didn't have a lot of margin for error. It wasn't like they could come back in and stick on new tires because they would have to run around four more times just to get them in the range that they needed. But that's what ended up working for them. They, they got the tires in the range and we saw what George Russell was able to do. He put the thing on full position. So Mercedes have finally figured that out. That's good to see. And again, in the race, it seems once they get, you know, five, six laps under the car, the thing just wakes up and they have so much pace. And, and we even saw at Paul Ricard, Lewis Hamilton was starting to put in fastest times and Silverstone, even the race and Austria, even all these past few races, they just keep lighting up the timing screens on Sundays. You'll see, oh, fastest lap Lewis Hamilton, fastest lap George Russell. And even they're keeping cars behind and challenging cars that are faster than theirs. George Russell fighting with Sergio Perez shouldn't have had any business probably fighting with Sergio Perez, who's in a faster Red Bull, especially in the straights, but George Russell was able to hang with him, and though he got him under different circumstances, he was able to pass him under the safety car restart. He kind of caught him sleeping there. He was able to hang with him and fight with him for very a very long stint at the end of that race, so that was good to see. Usually you'd expect a Red Bull or Ferrari to just check out, and Mercedes would be stuck kind of behind in the middle there, not that not the last few weeks they've been right there with these cars and they've been able to challenge and have good race pace so it's going to be really difficult for Ferrari to get around George Russell if they don't get him in the first corner because that car the longer it runs the better it gets and Sainz has been fast this weekend Leclerc you know struggling but he's still fast it's they can get him but it's not going to be an easy task it's not easy to pass at this track and the Mercedes has been really good on Sundays lately so that really threw a wrench into everyone's plans. It's going to make a really interesting race for Sunday because you just, I have no idea what's going to happen. It's really going to depend on that start. And we saw the start last year in Hungary where Valtteri Bottas bowled over about half the field, causing a red flag. We know how the starts can be in Hungary and how chaotic they can be. So we'll see if George Russell's able to hold on and, uh, and hopefully, you know, get, get into the first corner well and, and maybe hold on for his first win. But Ferrari, I think they sense a real strong opportunity here and I think they really want to strike and they want to get some points back. They've been so out of the loop here in the past few races. It's just mistake after mistake. Even when they won in Silverstone, it was just a mistake with the strategy of Charles Leclerc lost him a lot of positions at that safety car restart. And, you know, they were talking to Mattia Bonato on the pit wall and they asked him, you know, Oh, this has got to be good for strategy tomorrow. You know, I was after Max Verstappen had his issues and, or, and Sergio Perez had his issues, I think, actually. And they said, you know, it's got to be good for your, your strategy tomorrow. You're going to have two cars up front. Red Bull's only going to have one. And Mattia Bonato didn't even really answer that question. He went to straight for, oh, no, it's going to be good for the championship. You know, so I think this is really in Ferrari's head that they need to get back into the championship. They are solely focused on that. And I think they are they just realize that this can get really out of hand if they don't do something in terms of clawing back some points here because Charles Leclerc now sits 63 points behind Max Verstappen, and I can pull it up here in the constructor standings, 396 for Red Bull, 314 for Ferrari, an 82-point difference there. So they know they have a long way to get back, and they're going to need to start putting together some string of races here 
they can pick up some decent points. And it's going to take more than a Charles Leclerc P1, Max Verstappen P2. They're going to need some races like this where they're starting second and third, or ideally for them first and second, and the Red Bulls are kind of by the wayside. This is a perfect opportunity for them on a track that's going to be really hard for the Red Bulls to pass on for them to at least get 10, 15, maybe 20 points ahead of their championship rivals. So it's going to be a really interesting race you know, for that reason. We'll see if Ferrari can finally put something together and actually get some points, which they so desperately need. It seems like every week Red Bull is just getting, you know, they're just getting even further ahead in the championship. You even saw it in Austria where Sergio Perez goes out and then Carlos Sainz, his engine blows up. So it's just like they can't really ever get ahead Ferrari. They're always, always chasing. And then every time an opportunity presents itself, something goes bad. The driver makes a mistake, the car Something goes wrong on the car. The engine blows up. You know, so who knows what happens? But it's going to be really imperative for Ferrari this weekend, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do and how they kind of handle this situation going into the summer break, which can provide a lot of momentum for their drivers coming out in the back half at the end of August. So outside of the top three there, we got a couple surprises. Lando Norris, P4, had a really good quality. I mean, shouldn't really surprise us. Lando's been really solid this year, and, and since he's really gotten into Formula 1, he's been real solid. But this year especially, he's been really good. P4 for him is really great. Ahead of both the Alpines, which I think is really important, he's kind of been in a battle with Fernando Alonso, I feel like, these last few races. It's kind of the battle that's developed in the championship there. Those two guys seem to always be fourth and fifth, fifth and sixth, kind of around that area. So those guys are battling. Ocon behind in P6. I, I mentioned Lewis Hamilton. He starts P7 with a with the DRS problem that he had. And then you go in. Valtteri Bottas back in Q3 had a string of races there where he had failed to make Q3. I think they mentioned six or seven races there. So he's back. He starts eighth. Danny Ricardo in ninth. And, of course, the Red Bulls then. Max Verstappen in 10th. Checo 11th. So that's going to be – it's going to be really interesting to see how fast they're able to move through the field. The start, again, is going to be so important on so many levels because we're going to have to be watching the Ferraris and their battle with George Russell. We're going to have to be watching the Red Bulls in 10th and 11th. How do they get past the guys in front? You'd think they should be pretty easily able to get past Baltas and Ricardo in 8th and ninth. They should be able to work their way through if they both have good starts, that is. And I, I think they run into trouble after that. I mean, you look at Hungary and how hard it is to pass. You saw the, the issues that Lewis Hamilton was having last year in the best car, arguably, the Mercedes. They won the constructors, so you say the best car. And... Fernando Alonso and the Alpine, you know, and a much greater disparity between how good those cars were. And Lewis could not get past Fernando Alonso. It took a, a lockup from Fernando Alonso. To, it took him to make a mistake for Lewis Hamilton to get an opportunity to get past him finally. It just shows how both wide these cars are and how narrow this track is. And it's very hard to pass. So I think, you know, you look at Max and Checo 10 and 11th. Yeah, they might get past Bottas and Ricardo. Then you run into Lewis Hamilton, P7. He's not letting up any room. You know, he's in a really good Mercedes, as I mentioned, a Mercedes that was battling that Red Bull just a week ago in Paul Ricard and beat it out for a podium, a double podium for Mercedes. And then you run into both Alpines. They had a lot of straight line speed this year. I just mentioned Fernando Alonso and what he did last year. Esteban Ocon in P6 won the race last year, so they're both running strong, or they have run strong around this track before. They'll know how to defend. I just think it gets really hairy for those Red Bulls. And if they don't get a dream start, and you know, if they somehow, you know, I, I think they would have to get past Lewis Hamilton. I mean, I think that would be a huge one, especially for Max Verstappen in 10th. That's a lot to ask. Three positions on the start, especially when it's not a terribly long run down to turn one. We'll, we'll see 
how it all plays out, but I think it's just going to be really hard for them to get past. And I think Lando Norris and P4 could be a real important cog in this because he might have the ability to kind of be that buffer between the top three and the rest of the group. And if Max Verstappen or Checo or whoever is trying to get up top, if they're kind of stuck behind Lando, those top three can, I think, check out. I think George can hang with with the Ferraris, given how much race pace he has in that Mercedes. And, of course, the Ferraris are going to be strong. I, second and third, I think they're going to be real strong again. I, it, it's going to be real hard for, for, for Red Bull. I think it's going to be some damage limitation for them. Luckily for them, they again, they're 82 points clear in the constructors. They're 63 points clear in the drivers between Max and Charles. Worst case for, for Red Bull, let's say Charles Leclerc wins, gets fastest lap, he'll get 26 points. Even if Max settles for P8, we're talking four points there. So that's a 22-point swing, and Max still has a 41-point lead in the championship. That's worst case scenario, absolutely, probably, for Red Bull. Even if Max doesn't get those four points, now it's a 26-point swing. You know, you're looking at an under-40-point lead for Max. It's still a huge lead for him. It's going to take a lot. It can go away quickly. We saw Charles Leclerc's lead disappear like that when he crashed out of a couple of races. So not to say that Max Verstappen has already won this championship. Ferrari have the pace. They have the car. Their strategy has been terrible. Their driver's mistakes have been terrible. Their reliability has been terrible. They have a lot of issues they need to fix. But if they fix them, they can be right back in this thing. And I think it could really start this weekend with the race tomorrow in Hungary. So a lot to be decided. Official predictions right now. Uh, I think George Russell wins the race. I, I think he gets away well. I think he's able to hold the Ferraris up. I, I think he ends up winning the race. I'll go Leclerc P2 and, and Sainz P3. And that's kind of boring. You know, it's the top three on the starting grid. There's going to be no rain this year, or there shouldn't be any rain. The reports are saying it's going to be dry by the time the lights go out. So we shouldn't have another another bowling alley at turn one like we did last year. And I think Ferrari are going to realize, even if Sainz is ahead of Leclerc, they're going to realize that, hey, we have to back somebody for this championship already. It should have been Leclerc, you know, from the get-go. Maybe not from the get-go, but it should have been Leclerc once they realized, you know, it was going to be him. He was the one with many more points than Sainz. And I think they're going to, if Leclerc doesn't pass Sainz on track, I think they're going to kind of team orders him into, into P2 to get as many points as they can. So that's what I'll go with. George Russell, P1 for his first win in F1. Charles Leclerc, P2. Carlos Sainz, P3. But, hey, it, it's going to be a really interesting race. It's always interesting when you have cars that are faster, starting in the back, or starting where they shouldn't be, at least in, in Max and Checo's case in 10th and 11th. They're just at the wrong track to do it. There's not going to be a lot of overtaking. It's going to be pretty hard. And we'll, we'll see what they're able to get get done. And a lot of people talk about reverse grids. You know, should we... Take the cars that start in front and put them in the back and see what happens. It's an interesting idea. I personally don't think that that's the solution for F1, but I guess you get to see a little bit of a case study of it today uh, in, in just a few hours for this race with Max and Checo, see how they get through the field. So should be an interesting one. Of course, the last race, bef last race before the summer break, that is. We'll have a, a long, I think, month break before we get back to Spa-Francorchamps in about a month's time at the end of August. Could be the last race at Spa for, for the foreseeable future. Rumors that it might be off the calendar and, and next year and maybe beyond. So it's a historic track, however. Everyone always looks forward to going there. So it'll be a nice jump start out, out of the summer break. But we'll see. Who's going to carry the momentum into the summer break? Who's going to lose momentum? A lot of pressure can be 
may be lifted and more pressure can be put on because there's going to be a, a month for these guys to kind of weigh on the fact of, of where they are in the championship. So it could get really interesting. And uh, let's see if Ferrari can close that gap finally. It's going to be huge for them this weekend. Second and third, they're going to need a lot of points. So as we move on, I mentioned the news of the week. I think it's saddened a lot of us, saddened me for sure. Four-time champion Sebastian Vettel has announced his retirement from Formula One. Um, really sad to see it. And a lot of people, it was it was kind of a joke over the weekend, or over the week rather. Sebastian Vettel is famous for being the only driver in Formula One. He does not have social media. He's not really terribly old. It's not like he's 40-something years old. He's not even the oldest driver on the grid. He's in his early 30s, 33, 34, I believe. Just kind of not his cup of tea. Doesn't have social media. Everyone loves him. They would love him to get social media. So he says, okay, you know, he finally makes an Instagram over the week. And everyone says, oh, you know, Sebastian Vettel has an Instagram. This is great. You know, we'd love to see what he shares. And the first thing he shares is his retirement announcement from Formula One. And everyone just starts shedding all their tears immediately. It was so sad to see. Seb's such a great guy. You can tell on and off the track, you know, just the way he carries himself. It's going to be really sad to see him go. He cited, you know, many reasons, uh, first and foremost being his family. You know, he's got, I think, three kids and and a wife, and he just wants to wants to be home with them. He realizes that, I think he said this in the video, that, you know, all the time that he spends at the track is just time away from his kids. And so you can't fault the guy for that. Um, he's accomplished just about anything you could ever want to accomplish in Formula One, even though he does have a lot to give. You look at Fernando Alonso, who's 41 years old. By that measure, Sebastian Vettel should have about eight years left in Formula One, but that's just how it goes. He he did start at a very young age, so he's got a lot under his belt. Started in 2007, so year 15 for Sebastian Vettel. And yeah, uh, just kind of want to run through some of his career achievements on and off the track, kind of some of the stuff that stands out to me, and then we can end here by by talking about who might replace him at Aston Martin, because that leaves obviously a big hole at Aston Martin. And, you know, they talk about the silly season in Formula One, all the driver switches and stuff like that. We haven't really had much, any this year, really. All we've really gotten is drivers being confirmed to the teams that they're at. We've heard Alphatari saying they're confirming their two drivers. Ricardo's staying at McLaren, he says. So a lot of confirming, not a lot of switching around at the moment. But, of course, now we're going to get one extra seat. We'll see who fills that seat. But going through Sebastian Vettel's career real quick, 53 wins. 57 pole positions, 122 podiums. As I mentioned, a four-time champion, won four championships in a row from 2012 to 2013 with Red Bull and was essentially just a dominant force during that time. I mean, it, he was... He, <laughs> we see in F1, there's always arrows of dominance. You saw Michael Schumacher won five championships from 2000 to 2004. Then you saw Sebastian Vettel do this, and then it was Mercedes, you know, winning eight constructors in a row, Hamilton winning all the championships... He was just so dominant in that time. Uh, started out, wasn't even at Red Bull to start. In 2007, actually, he started his first race in Indianapolis at the USGP with BMW. And he was a replacement driver for Robert Kubica, who had crashed the week earlier at Canada. Had a huge, nasty crash. One of the scariest crashes. Look it up if you'd like to see. He was able to recover from it, thankfully. So he was fine. But had a huge crash. Sebastian Vettel, this young kid, 18, I believe, years old, comes in, replaces him, and scores points in his first finish. And everyone starts, you know, turning an eye. Who is this kid? This kid's pretty good. Ends up going to Toro Rosso the next year, the sister team to Red Bull, kind of the junior team, if you will, where they develop their young drivers in their academy before they look to bring them up to the main Red Bull team. And 
has a decent season there, wins his first race in his career at a rain-soaked Monza in 2008, and just really dominated that whole weekend, had a good win there, um, and, that, and that was the start of the legend, really, because right after that, in 2009, I believe, he was up to the Red Bull team, so they, they saw the potential in him, they knew what he had, and they didn't waste any time getting him up. 2010 to 2013, I mentioned he wins four championships in a row. A lot of, a couple of them are close, but some of them were just pure domination. You know, 20, 2010, I believe, he for his first championship, you know, he, he waits in Abu Dhabi the last race. Or Actually, I don't know if Abu Dhabi was the last race at the time, but it was in Abu Dhabi where he was looking to clinch the championship. Won the race and was had to wait for where Fernando Alonso was going to finish and the classic moment of his engineer just saying, you just wait, sunshine, you just wait. I'll, you know, giving him the racing, um, the finishing order, you know, saying, okay, this guy's P2, P3. And then he finally tells him he won the championship and he starts balling on the radio. So that was kind of how we got introduced to Sebastian Vettel in terms of, uh, you know, his championship pedigree. 2011, one of those dominant years where he just kind of runs the floor. Red Bull had a really good car that year. 2012, a really tough one. He comes to Brazil. And the championship is still in the balance. The last race of the year in Brazil. And he needs to... I can't remember the exact spot he needed to finish, but I think it was like fifth, I believe. And he goes and, you know, there's so much pressure. It's him and Fernando Alonso again. Alonso, I believe, needed to just get on the podium to to score the championship win. Uh, the race starts. Vettel immediately gets spun around. They're thinking, oh my God, the championship's over. You know, he just got spun around. He's all the way down in, I think, almost last place. They come in for a pit stop. Slowly but surely, starts working his way through, working his way through. Alonso gets up to P3 where he needs to be. And, you know, I think it was P3 if, if Vettel didn't score any points. So he needed to be P3. And Vettel just keeps working his way through. And the rain comes, and they try to switch on the tires. They put the wrong tires on. They, they misjudge how much rain. They put on slick tires. They need rain tires. So then they have to make a double pit stop. It's this whole, everything that went wrong could go wrong, but... Somehow Sebastian Vettel saved the day, and he eventually just gets all the way through the field, gets a nice little wave through from Michael Schumacher, who was his hero growing up, both Germans. Sebastian looked up to him, who gives him the critical position he needs to win the championship, and Sebastian ends up winning it. And it was one of the one of the best races in Formula One history, a classic race where he just, no matter what you threw at him, it, it seemed like he was going to win, and he did. You know, he he went right through and won the championship. So classic there. 2013, then again, just another dominant performance. Sets the record. Nine consecutive race wins in 2013. No one has ever done that. I mean, just complete domination the second half of the season. You know, he had won some races in the first half, had a good championship lead, and then came out in the second half and just blitzed the entire field. I mean, didn't leave any doubt that he was going to win the championship. Just straight up dominated the second half of that season. Another classic moment of him where he gets out of his car at the Indian Grand Prix where he actually clinched the championship. He gets out and he bows down to his car because he's you know, honoring it because it's so fast and so good for him. That was kind of his era of domination. And then the regulation switch in 2014 and doesn't have the greatest season at Red Bull. You know, he gets beaten by this young kid named Daniel Ricciardo. I don't know if he ever became anything in Formula One, but Daniel Ricciardo comes in, beats him. And then he switches to Ferrari for 2015, you know, Obviously, he's a big Michael Schumacher fan. Schumacher won championships at Ferrari. That's what Sebastian Vettel wants to do. And he has a lot of good seasons at Ferrari. 15, 16, they're kind of building up the car. But 17 and 18, they, they had really good chances to fight Mercedes for the championship. Just never came to fruition. You know, mistakes or 
strategy or what, whatever have you. They just weren't ever able to compete with Mercedes. Mercedes always had the better car. Sebastian put up a great fight, just wasn't able to get it. And I think that was one of the things that he was really looking forward to. He wanted to win a championship with Ferrari, was never able to do it. And eventually, after 2020, he Ferrari was kind of in the dumps in 2020, didn't have a great year, decides to leave, goes to Aston Martin for 2021. And, you know, last year was an okay year for him. He ended up scoring the podium. Should have been uh, two podiums, actually. He only got one because of the, the penalty he took in Hungary. But he gets the podium in Azerbaijan, comes through, you know, has a decent year. And then this year, Aston Martin kind of in the back. He, he's struggling to get out of Q1. And even with that, it, it felt like he was going to stay in Formula 1. You know, it didn't feel like he was there was an impending retirement happening, but he decided he was going to hang it up. So kudos to him. Um, I, you know, he's a very private guy. I think a lot of people have known that. And, uh, you know, I, I hope he enjoys the time with his family. And a lot of stories have come out, too. I've seen a lot of stories, you know, saying there was a girl that met him in a race, and she was crying her eyes out when she met him. She was just so happy. She was probably six or seven years old. And he was trying to get them tickets to his garage, but he had already filled the garage for a charity of kids who could come watch the race. It just it just sounds like the greatest guy on earth. But, he, you know, he signed a bunch of stuff for and personalized message. You know, there was another story where when he was in Austin for the U.S. race, this guy had recognized him outside of his apartment because it was next to a, a big hotel. And he walked over, he introduced himself, said, you know, hi, I'm you know, a big fan. And Sebastian took all the time in the world to listen to him. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I didn't want to bother him. The next few days I saw him, you know, I just wanted to say hi once. And then he comes home and Sebastian on his door, uh, door handle leaves tickets to the race with signed merchandise and everything, you know, just stuff like that, where he took, all he had to do was take time out of his day to just say hi to this guy, but he just goes above and beyond and, and does extra just for his fans and for, for people. Um, I think that's what he's probably going to most be remembered for too. And I wanted to touch on as well, the, he, when you talk about walking the walk in terms of social justice and, and social issues and environmental issues and all this, he is right there. I mean, Obviously, Lewis Hamilton is the only black driver on the grid. He is very passionate about black causes and social injustice towards black people, rightly so. And especially in 2020, during the during the George Floyd uh, riots and, and the ensuing aftermath of that, you know, Lewis Hamilton was making a lot of statements around that, making a lot of gestures, trying to get F1 to speak up on it and do something and actually take charge. And Sebastian was right there alongside Lewis the entire time, always putting his foot forward, always trying to help Lewis whenever whenever he could. And I feel like he's always been there during times like that, where whenever there's some injustice, whenever there's some issue in F1 of anybody being discriminated against, Seb is the first one there to be, you know, hey, that that's BS. That needs to stop. So he's been very vocal about that. And two, you know, small things where it's like last year at Silverstone, you know, the race is over. He's just finished the race, and he's out there with the cleanup crew picking up trash in the grandstands because he wants to help pick up the trash and kind of, you know, help save the environment. That's one of the things Seb likes, you know, is very passionate about is the environment. It's like, who does that? Who, who, what F1 driver goes out there and picks up trash with the trash, you know, collectors after a race? Just a huge, great gesture by him. Obviously, he had the, uh, in Hungary last year, he had a, the pride shirt on and got in trouble for it or almost got in trouble for it. It's one of my favorite moments of Seb after the race where, they're interviewing him. The interviewer just goes, well, you know, don't you, you know, you're wearing the shirt. Don't you think you might get in trouble? And he, he just brushes it off so cleanly. He's like, who cares? He's like, 
you know, if they want to find me, find me. If they want to disqualify me, then then do it. He's like, I really don't care. You know, I'm I'm just wearing a shirt. I'm I'm showing off my beliefs and what I believe in. If they want to, if they don't like it, who cares? And I think that also comes from a place for him of, I've been there. I've done that. You know, I've won all the races I need to win. I've won the championships. If they, who cares? If they want to do something to me, do it. I, you know, I'm not here for that anymore. And even his retirement message, he said, there is still a race to win, you know? And I think that kind of points to his causes that he's passionate in, you know, the race to win. There's still a race to win in terms of solving the social issues, solving the environmental issues and, you know, all these things he's passionate about. And it's awesome to see, you know, he, he really walks the walk when it comes to that. He's a great dude and um, he's going to be missed in Formula One. Uh, I hope he sticks around. Obviously, you know, we, we know he has a great relationship with Mick Schumacher, Michael Schumacher's son, who currently races in Formula One, and he's kind of taken him under his wing, as Michael did with Sebastian back in the day. And that's been a great relationship to see. So hopefully we still see him around the paddock next year, you know, coming around to some races and or, or seeing him somewhere because he, he's a great guy and, and he's good to hear from. He's got a lot of good thoughts, a ton of experience. He's one of the best drivers to ever live. So kudos to Seb. Um, he's going to be missed. Also, I, I, I did see we just celebrated Lewis Hamilton's 300th race in Formula One. Now, Abu Dhabi. The last race of the year will be Sebastian's 300 race, third hundred race in Formula One. Could not say that, so that'll be a cool celebration. Hopefully, we get some some festivities for Sebastian there. Hopefully, some some celebration donuts. We saw him do it last year in Abu Dhabi. Saw some uh, some donuts done with Lewis, Seb, and and Alonso in 2018 when Alonso was retired and left the sport before he ended up coming back. Obviously, but hopefully, we get some more of that. Some festivities. He certainly deserves it. He's one of the best drivers ever, and you saw. All the drivers making comments. You know, I don't think there was a driver who didn't say something positive about Seb, whether they've been his teammate, whether they've just known him for a short amount of time, if they're a younger guy. They all, they all looked up to him, and he seems to be a, a huge voice of reason in the paddock, and a lot of and a lot of guys really respect him. So that, that goes to show you what kind of guy he is and uh, what kind of guy we're missing in Formula 1 moving forward. So real quick, I mean, who replaces him, right? I mean, that That's the huge question. We know what Aston Martin... Lance Stroll, his dad, Lawrence Stroll, owns the team. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. So who gets that second seed at Aston Martin? You know, a lot of names thrown out. Of course, Mick Schumacher. I think I saw Seb even kind of allude to the fact that he might like Mick to take that spot. Of course, Mick at Haas right now. And, you know, it's hard to judge because Aston Martin right now are the ninth best car on the grid. They're very bad this year. How much do these drivers believe in the plan that they've set out to be winning races in just a couple of years? or winning championships, you know, really soon. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, how much do you believe in that plan? Do you really think it's going to work out, or do you think they're just kind of spewing BS and they're not really on the trajectory that they say they are? So that that's going to be a huge decision-maker there. So Mick, does he believe in that program? Does he want to stay at Haas? Obviously, Haas have the huge Ferrari ties. Mick, of course, would love to race for Ferrari. His dad raced there. So you know, Mick, does he want to stay in that family with Ferrari and kind of keep that relationship close? Nico Hulkenberg, of course, the current reserve driver at Aston Martin, a lot of F1 experience under his belt. And during the 2010s, of course, the, I believe the most successful driver to never score a podium in Formula One. So a lot of people would love to see that, though I don't know if he's going to have the car for it in Aston Martin. But Nico's also 37 years old. You know, do they want an older guy in there? Do they want a younger guy in there? We'll see. He would be a stabilizing force definitely for a year but i think they'd eventually want a young guy in there daniel ricardo i've seen floated around now ricardo was committed to mclaren at the end of till the end of 2023 i don't know if it's the best career move we know daniel ricardo does not make the best career moves he left red bull 
and he left Renault, and now he's at McLaren, where a car is there. It, it's just not suited to his liking. You know, it, Daniel Ricciardo needs a specific kind of car style. He likes a very pointy front end, if you will, and, and to, <laughs> to explain it simply, he likes the car to be very responsive, and he likes the car set up a certain way. That is not how the McLaren is set up. It's not to his liking. It's more towards Lando Norris's liking, and that's why Ricardo has really struggled these last couple of years at McLaren. It's just he's not one of those drivers that can hop into anything and be fast. He needs it to be a certain way, and it just hasn't been his way. So he's struggling and still trying to find his footing under that car. I think it would still still benefit him to stay at McLaren. He's, of course, there under contract until 2023. McLaren have said if he wants to leave, that is on him. We want him to stay. So as far as we're concerned, we, we know we're on board with him, and, and he – even, you know, recommitted to them, if you will, amid the rumors that he was going to retire or leave for a different team saying, no, you know, I'm, I want to be in this sport. I love the challenge. I know it's hard for me right now, but I want to stay and I want to be with McLaren. So could happen, but we'll see. Uh, of course, a lot of younger drivers too. You look at Nick DeVries, current uh, reserve driver at Mercedes, Oscar Piastri, reserve driver at Alpine. Both of those guys, I think Nick DeVries would be a good option. Piastri seemed to be looking towards either the Williams seat or if it opened up the McLaren seat from Ricardo. So we'll see how that goes. And then there's a ton of talent in Formula 2. You know, you look at some of the guys down there right now, Jan Daruvula, Liam Lawson, Felipe Drugovic. There's a ton of talent down there. I know I'm missing about 10 guys because it really stacked Formula 2 grid this year. Um, so they could go any which route that they want a young driver from there, that they want to pick from there. I, it's hard to tell where they go. You know, do... Do they really need a veteran veteran driver? Lance Stroll has been in Formula One, you know, over five, six years now. So he I think he's a veteran enough driver and he's kind of picked up on Seb's tendencies. Seb's really attentive to the car. He's essentially just another engineer out there. He's so, you know, specific with telling the engineers what he wants. He knows everything about the car. And hopefully Lance has picked up on that and has gotten better at relaying information to his engineers and kind of, you know communicating with them about what he likes on the car, what he doesn't like on the car. So I think if I was Aston Martin, I would go for one of the young guys, you know, try to try to take one of them from F2. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of good young drivers here pretty soon that are ready for Formula One with not a lot of seats up for grabs. So you might get uh, an Alonzo retirement in a few years because of his age, maybe Lewis Hamilton in a few years, but there's going to be, there's just too many seats or too many drivers and not enough seats at the moment. So I, I think if I was Aston Martin and I, you know, obviously a lot of these junior drivers have ties to different junior academies as well. So, you know, it might be hard to pluck them from certain spots, but I would just get my pick of the litter right now. And you say, okay, what who's my favorite F2 driver? Okay, boom. I'm going to grab them right now and put them on my team. And, you know, you look at, like I mentioned DeVries and Piastri, they're kind of associated with their own F1 teams at the moment. There's a reserve drivers. So those guys might be a little harder to get, but I would go for either of those two before I, I look at F1 or F2. Can't get those guys. See, see if you can get down there. I mean, why not? Uh, Lance Stroll is, he's young, but he's a veteran driver at this point. I don't think you need another guy as a vet unless, you know, it's a, a stepping stone. Maybe if you want a Nico Hulkenberg, as I mentioned, for a year, and then you bring in one of those young guys as a reserve driver, you know, kind of give Nico a year as a veteran to, as a real veteran, 37 years old again, if you want two stable drivers at least in the car for the time being, and then you throw the young guy in, you know, whatever you do. But I think they would miss a huge opportunity if they didn't pick one of those young guys from Formula 2 and, and stick them in the car. So we'll see what they do. Of course, you know, if 
if we do have a another F1 driver like Mick or, or, or Daniel leaving, then that leaves up another hole in another team, and it all all the craziness begins. So, a lot to a lot to look forward to on that on that front with the the driver market. You know how crazy that gets. But again, so, sad to see Seb go, but for the reasons that he wants to leave, happy to see him get to spend more time with his family. He's going to be sorely missed in F1, but. This is how it goes, you know. So you're gonna, you can't race forever. So, and I know it sucks because of his age. And you look at Hamilton and Alonso, you think, oh, he's got so much more left, and he might. But you know, I think he's had his time at the top teams. He's raced for Red Bull. He's raced for Ferrari. I just, the, again, with the way the seats are constructed right now, there's just so few spots open. And I don't think for him, there's just a spot available for him to even say, okay, maybe I'll extend my career a couple of years for a top team. I, I don't think there's a top team or even a team that's worth considering going to have an open seat soon. So I think, you know, for him, the right decision, spend time with his family and, uh, you know, just kind of glide off into the sunset and <laughs> you know, hopefully have a good time. Again, he's got more stats than anyone can dream of in Formula One. The dude is just uh, incredible. So I'm going to miss him. But again, we we focus in just a few hours now, the Hungarian Grand Prix. My prediction again, George Russell first, Charles Leclerc second, Carlos Sainz third. That's what I'm going with this weekend. We'll see, uh, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think is going to be the top three? Let me know in the comments down below, wherever you're watching or listening to this. Or hit me up on Twitter, on the social medias that I always plug down there, Twitter, Instagram, sometimes on Twitch. So let me know what you think. Hopefully you enjoy the race. Hope, maybe we'll get some rain. It sounds like it's going to dry up, but, you know, rain is always a great equalizer. You know, a lot of guys in the back are hoping for it, but... It's a mixed-up grid. It should be pretty fun. George Russell in first. Can he hold off the Ferraris? Can they get past him to maximize their points? How fast, if at all, do Max and Checo get through the field? Are they able to get past Bottas and Ricardo? Are they going to fight Lewis and the Alpines? Can they get that far up? You know, who knows? We'll see. It should be a great race, a really fun race. Hopefully, as we go into the summer break, we had a nice race to finish off on, get a lot of talking points to go into the summer break, and, and maybe, you know, just change up this championship a little bit. Just give us something to talk about. So we will see uh, how that goes. I'll see you guys with a review of the Hungarian Grand Prix in the next couple of days. Hopefully it's nice and chaotic and a lot to talk about and a lot of fun. So with that being said, I'll see you in a couple, couple of days here with the review. And uh, thanks for watching.